Well, happy Easter. It's good to see you today. So all over the world today, uh, at this exact moment, and uh, all throughout these 24 hours, all over the globe, uh, people are saying he is risen. And then, I don't know if you've done this before, this is my first Easter with you as your pastor, and uh, we're thrilled to be here. But uh, all over the world, people say he is risen. And then all the other people say he is risen indeed. Have you ever heard of that? Okay. Let's try it. Can we try it? Would that be all right? All right. So if you don't do it, I mean, it's my first Easter. My heart might hurt just a little bit. I, I don't know. But I, I have a confidence in you. So he is risen. Good job. Nice. Nice. We are thrilled that you're here today. Just a couple of things. Uh, if you would do us a favor, we don't ask a ton from you on Sunday mornings, but one thing we do ask is that you'd fill out a Connect card. So in the front of the, in the back of the, in front of you, in the back of your chair, there's a Connect card. If you could pull that out, fill it out. It's a great opportunity to share prayer needs, but we'd really like to just be able to follow up with you if you're visiting here today. Uh, we'd just love to be able to share with you more about uh, what we're about as a church. If you're with us online, thanks for joining us. There's a Connect card link that you can click. If you would do that, that'd be fantastic. Or the best news yet, you can download the app. You can just check in on the app and uh, fill out that Connect card there, and uh, you're good to go. You're good to go. So thank you for doing that. The other thing is here in your pew or here in the seats, and then also uh, online, there's going to be some information. There's a series coming up next uh, Sunday. There's also some new children's ministry uh, focus that's going to be happening next Sunday as well. But the sermon series next Sunday into a few more weeks is going to be called As It Is. So in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend a few weeks going through some of the Sermon on the Mount and talking about what does it mean for, uh, for us to live these kingdom lives? What does it look like for earth to come to heaven? What does that mean for us? What does it mean for in the region as it is in heaven? So we're going to be exploring that together and looking through that over the next, uh, next few weeks. But today, today, like I said, billions, billions of people this very moment are gathering in person online to recognize a resurrection. But it's one thing to commemorate a, re uh, a resurrection. It's a whole other thing to experience your own. That's why we're here today. It's because we all need to experience a resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that any person, any person who chooses to follow Jesus receives what Scripture says is a new birth into a living hope through a resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, let me translate that. Easter's a really, really big deal. That's why you're here today. So, uh, I know we're all participating in Easter for different reasons, so this is real-life community church, so can we just be real for a second? I know that all kinds of people participate in Easter for all kinds of different reasons, uh, so let's be real. Some of you are here and online because it's Easter, and because church is what you're supposed to do on Easter, so that kind of makes us participate a little bit. Uh, some of you have been invited which is incredible. Some of you are watching online because you've been invited electronically, and so thank you for joining us. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, maybe for some of you, and let's refrain from pointing fingers, maybe some of you, uh, a family member, maybe even a, a spouse, 
convinced you to be here uh, as part of the Easter ceremony and celebration. Um, maybe others of you are here just in case. <laughs> just in, I mean, come on. God takes attendance on Easter and Christmas, so we got to make sure we're here <laughs> so, that, so that we're counted, right? So we're here just in case, just in case. Listen, 30 years ago, if you would ask me why I was in church on Easter Sunday morning, I would have told you point blank it was because of a girl. So uh, we're, we're all a part of these things for all kinds of different reasons. But here's the deal. I'm going to challenge you right up front unapologetically today to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. To put our faith in Jesus Christ, experience our own resurrection story. But I'm not just going to challenge you to put your faith in Jesus. I'm going to invite you to allow him to invade your present reality. Not just save you for some day in the future when you go to heaven for eternity, but right now, right now, I'm going to challenge you not just to remember a resurrection, but to encounter your own resurrection. It's what happens when Jesus starts to untangle your past and then reaches out in the future and drags it into your present, and all of a sudden you experience real life. Uh, it happens in a scene that we're going to look at. There's, there's another resurrection. We are celebrating, obviously, the resurrection of Christ today, but there's another resurrection that takes place in Jesus' life. It happens a little bit earlier than this one. And uh, we're going to look at that uh, really kind of a familiar scene. Uh, Jesus has some close friends. They're siblings. Mary, Martha, and a guy named Lazarus. And uh, you may have heard this story before. If not, you're going to hear it for the first time. But uh, these people aren't related to Jesus, but for the most part, it's kind of like Jesus is a member of their family. Have you ever had somebody like that? Your family has kind of adopted somebody into your family. It's almost like we're related. It is not uncommon for there to be multiple young men who mysteriously show up at our house around dinner time and sit around our dinner table. They wander into our house at 4.30. Hey, guys, what's going on? And then 5.30 or so rolls around. Hey, Marcus. Hey, Matt. Do you want to stay for dinner? It's dinner time? I didn't know. It was dinner time. Those kids, those guys know that they're part of our family. They're not just friends of our kids, they're family. And this is kind of the situation here. Jesus is really close. They're devoted to one another as family members. Um, and the feeling is mutual there. So Jesus and his disciples, what's going on is they're outside of Jerusalem. They're healing some people. Uh, they're, they're serving other people. They're, they're just doing what they need to be doing. And somehow the word gets to Jesus that his buddy Lazarus is sick. He's not just sick, he's like bad sick. He's like, I'm going to die kind of sick. And so the news gets to Jesus. So this, this family ramps into high gear. I mean, they know who Jesus is. They know what Jesus can do. They've probably seen what Jesus can do. Okay, so Jesus is the guy to call in that moment. We're having a crisis. Somebody get word to Jesus. Can you come? Can you help us? Lazarus is not going to make it. So his family, this family is in high gear, but the interesting thing is Jesus is not. He just isn't. He doesn't seem phased at all by this news about his friend. In fact, several days go by, so many days that news now comes back to Jesus that his friend Lazarus is dead. Then Jesus says, all right, let's go see Lazarus. Does that bother anybody else? He's got the order wrong. It's great that he wants to show up for the funeral, but man, we needed you a few days earlier. 
where were you? Instead of intervening, it almost feels like Jesus is a little too preoccupied to help, and then all of a sudden it's too late. It's too late. But I want you to understand there's more going on with this story. Let me read a portion of it for you, John eleven seventeen. It says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again on the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. I just want to briefly this morning have us notice a sequence that takes place here. And the very first thing that we see is that Martha reaches into the past. She brings up the past. She says, if you had been here, my brother would be alive. If you had been here, what I'm experiencing right now, this pain and grief and hurt, would not happen if you had just been here. So let's deal with the elephant in the room. There's a fact here. Jesus was a total no-show. They sent for Jesus. They cried out to Jesus in their moment of need, and he didn't show up. He didn't come. I don't know if you've been around uh, death, like if you've been present or around uh, when somebody has been passing away. Happy Easter. I'm sure you're glad, you're glad that we're having that conversation, but um, there's, a, there's a statement that, you know, somebody dies with dignity. You ever heard that? Uh, I've, been, I've been around more death than I want to be around anymore, but honestly, and, and it may be because I'm jaded, I've never been present when somebody died and it was dignified. It's halting. It's raw. It's, it's painful. It's, it's extremely unnatural. You and I were meant to breathe. You and I were created to live for eternity. So it's a very unnatural thing. I guess the way I would say it is, you know, you have love in your heart and you, you have a desire to give that love to somebody, but all of a sudden in that moment, in that interruption, there, there's a disruption that takes place in your love has nowhere to land anymore and you just deal with that reality and that pain and that struggle and that that weeping and gnashing of teeth that just it's it's a very disruptive thing mary and martha they've just experienced this and in their desperation had cried out to jesus and jesus didn't show he didn't show does this sound familiar to you how can you say that god is loving when fill in the blank. When this and this and this happened to me, how can you say God is loving when he allowed that to happen? Or when this took place, how can you say God is a God of love? I think for many of us, there's a thing, right? There's, there's a thing back there, something in the past, something that 
affects us and, and has informed some of our life and in our actions. It's definitely informed some of our relationships, and that thing affects us and keeps us pushing people back at arm's length or whether or not we let them in close. There's a thing that goes on there. It's a filter that we see the world through and other people through and even God through sometimes. That thing that has affected us, where seemingly in that moment of need, God put his phone on vibrate and took a vacation, and all of a sudden was just painfully absent when we needed him the most. It's hard to reconcile that experience with a God of love, isn't it? Or maybe for you, it's more about maybe things that you've done. I don't think I'm much different than most people. I mean, there's been things that have happened to me, but there's a whole lot of things that I've done. A whole lot of things that I've done. Things that I'm not proud of. Things in my past. There are things that I've done that today have rewritten the story and created some of the narrative of other people. I am a pain subject in the storyline of other people's lives. Things that I've done in my past. So maybe you're like me. It's hard to reconcile the idea that God would love me in spite of what I've done, the things I've said, who I've been. If God is love, where is he in those moments? Where's God in the dead ends? Where's God when there is no hope, in the pain, in the moments where failure and pride and and ego just take us down a road that we never, ever wanted to go down? Where is this God of love? That's what Martha was asking in that moment. I needed you. Where were you? Where were you in this past circumstance? Now, you and I live in 2021, and so we have the advantage of Google. And so if you wanted to right now, you could pull out your phone and you could Google what happened with Lazarus and Jesus, and you would find out in a hot minute, Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. If you didn't know that already, spoiler alert, there you go. That's the end of the story. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Okay, but Martha does not know that. Mary does not know that. So let's pretend for a second that I didn't spoil that, that you don't know that either, that you don't know what's about to happen. People are wailing. They're crying. This is a horrific moment. And Martha shifts gears here. She says, hey, where were you? If you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Then she, she kind of catches herself, and she moves from, from that to kind of a platitude, a, a religious know, statement. Verse 22, she says, Even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Um, what she's saying there is not completely wrong. It's going to sound like I'm being judgmental, but I don't know that she even believes what she's saying there. She's given up hope. The moment passed, right? She doesn't think there's anything left to do. It's where she is. She's frustrated because Jesus wasn't there, yet she's still kind of clinging a little bit to some kind of a hope. It's like a Facebook post you make with a really Pinterest-worthy, Instagram-y quote or something, you know. It just kind of, it soothes yourself. That's what that is. And Jesus says this, listen, your brother's going to rise. Your brother's going to rise. And we see a shift. Martha does this. She moves from this past thing where were you? And then she reaches out way deep in the future, way off into the future. Verse 24, Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she goes from reaching into the past to reaching way off into the future. 
I know that years and years from now, in the last days, he'll rise. Her hope lies in the future. It's the equivalent, the spiritual equivalent of saying, listen, I know he's in a better place, and I know that one day I'll see him again. But right now, there's no hope. Right now. Now, remember what we're talking about here. Okay? Jesus makes the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And what that means is the past is going to start to get untangled and the hope of the future is going to be wrenched into the present. This resurrection reality that we experience, if we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have eternity in heaven with Jesus. That's going to be wrenched into the future. We experience eternity now. We experience a resurrection now. And he does this with one audacious statement. In this sentence I'm about to read for you, if you wonder what caused people to kill Jesus, it's this statement. Not many people walk around saying these things. Verse 25, he said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he's still going to live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? The resurrection and the life, listen to me closely, is not just remembering Christ's resurrection and the hope it gives us for our future. It's Jesus saying, I am the solution for your broken pasts, your shallow religious platitudes, and your future hope. He's not only the resurrection, he is the life. He is our life. He is giving us life today. And in these weeks leading up to Easter, we've been in this series called Encounters with Jesus. We've been going through Scripture, going through the New Testament, going through the Gospels, looking at Jesus interacting with different people. Whenever people's lives intersect the life of Jesus, there's always a decision. People are always faced with a decision when you run smack into Jesus. And today, in this particular passage, on this Easter, I think the decision is clear in this encounter. Accept his invitation to real life here now. Real life here and now. Here's what I think that means. It means that those hopeless situations, those broken areas, you have a resurrection hope now. That's what that means. In those hurts and those pains from the past, there is a resurrection hope. In Jesus, I can have joy. Rich Doring, I can have joy in the midst of joyless situations because my hope is not rest in my circumstances here. My, my, my hope rests in a Savior who beat death. Who beat death. The grave could not hold him. That's where my hope lies. I can have joy in joyless situations. In Jesus, I am free from shame and guilt in a world that relies on shame and guilt in us. This is what it means when Jesus says, I'm the life. I'm the life that you can live. It's a declaration. And we see it take place in verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Okay, there are things, my wife knows this well, that I think are funny, that maybe not everybody else thinks are funny. I don't know if anybody has one of those in your family too. I'm that guy. 
Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, uh, hang on. Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been in there four days. Okay, now, there are different translations, different versions of Scripture. And the King James Version of this passage is awesome. It literally says, Lord, he stinketh. I know, I'm a total seventh grade boy. I just think that's hilarious. He stinketh. Now, here's what's interesting. Martha gives a platitude that Jesus is good for the future. I know, I've got a hope about the future, but right now, no. I mean, it's been four days. You don't understand what kind of a dead end this is right now. This whole thing stinks. Jesus, you don't know what kind of a situation I'm in, the things that have happened to me, the things that were done to me, maybe even the things that I've done. Jesus, you don't understand that. I get that I am saved for the future. That's a fantastic thing. I'm glad for the whole get saved and go to heaven thing and that you deal with my past sins and now I've got a ticket to go to heaven. That's great. But that does not help me right now. We're too far gone. There's no hope in this situation. So what does Jesus say to that? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The past was being untangled. The future hope is entering into their present reality because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so the big question for us, for you and me this Easter, I think is this. What are your doubts? What are your doubts? For some of us, our doubts are maybe tied to our past. We can't believe God would actually love us. I mean, if God really knew what I was like, newsflash, he does. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you anyway. That's how much he loves you. If he really knew what I was really like, I mean, God has a thing for good people. Uh, but somebody like me, the things that I've done, the things, the things that I've done, who I've been, it's not compatible. Or maybe your struggle, your doubts rest in your past. There's some dark moment back there. Something happened. God seemed horrifically absent in a moment of huge need. Where was he? Where was he? Just like Martha, if you would have been here, had you been here, this would not have happened. Where were you? But listen closely. When Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, when he dies on the cross for my sin, for your sin, and he's resurrected, what we have now before us is this incredible opportunity for our past to be untangled and for that future hope to be wrenched into the present. This is a life beyond bumper sticker theology. This is a life where real transformation takes place because Jesus Christ shows us, listen very closely, Death is dead. Death is dead. It is no more. It's defeated forever. Our past is being unraveled, and the hope of the future is being pulled into the present. 
I love a good story. I know when I first came, I declared to you that I love collecting stories, and I do. I like to hear people's stories. The best stories are resurrection stories. These moments where somebody hits a complete dead end, and there literally is no hope in their present. But through the, the hand and the touch of God, their story completely transforms and changes into something nobody would believe. And as I was preparing for this a couple weeks ago and really praying through on some stuff, I kept thinking about this resurrection story that I heard several years ago. It's about a guy named Larry. And so what I want to ask you to do, I want to ask you to, to watch Larry's story here. I'm Larry. I used to be uh, the general in a racist group in, in the United States. My dad was uh, one of the founding fathers of the Hells Angels in the Oakland chapter. And uh, I grew up kind of always around all them people. My whole family's pretty dysfunctional. We're all crystal meth heads and been cooking dope all our lives, nieces and nephews, everybody else. Went to prison the first time in 1974 in Arizona for a meth lab. 75 in Utah, and then from 75 until 2001, in and out of Utah prison most of my life. Got out three years ago. Fell right back in the same stuff. Got off the bus in Salt Lake and walked in, just walked a block away and ran into one of my partners and ended up right back in the same thing. Was trying to stay away from drugs pretty much, but uh, it, was, it wasn't working too good up here. And I was talking to people out on the, on the bridge by the Portland Rescue Mission. They were telling me about this faith-based program. So I thought, I had a little bit of Bible stuff, you know, but it was all the wrong parts of the Bible. Old Testament, where you can twist it pretty much anyway. For any philosophy you got, you know. Larry had just entered into the program uh, after coming out from Utah um, and landed here in Portland. It was really only a few days from the time that he was entered into the program to when we served down there. And so um, he was just uh, cooking in the kitchen, serving in the kitchen. And uh, we showed up for our regular time and just started connecting with Larry. I was working in the kitchen. They came down to a feed. Jim's wife, Gina, invited me out to this church out here. So I came out here just to check it out. Seeing the pastor with tattoos and thought, yeah, this is going to work. This just felt comfortable. It just felt like home. Just felt, you know, people accepted you right off the bat for no matter what your past was or anything, you know, they just made you feel comfortable. And that's what I needed at that time. I never had that before. And that's the main thing. I just feel him in my heart now, you know. I don't want to hurt people anymore. I want to do other things. I want to pay back. I want to help people. I'd love to go to some country and build a church. You know, that'd be fantastic. There's a favorite passage that Jesus said, uh, do as you would be done. And I just thought, you know, I don't remember nothing when I usually read it, but that's stuck in my head. And it's just stayed there. You know? That's a pretty simple thing. Not a lot of the world does it this today, but I think if they did, that'd probably be a better place to live. I'm Larry, and uh, I'm in the church, and I'm part of the body of Christ.
So, white supremacist, racist, ran an organization, part of the Hell's Angels, cooked meth, and then God got a hold of him. And I'm sure that there are people in his life that look at him and think, we don't know who you are. Exactly. Here's what I know. I don't know everything, but here's what I do know. When you encounter your own resurrection, it means Jesus is going to start messing with your present stuff. Your present stuff. He doesn't just deal with our past, and he doesn't just prepare us for our future, but he brings this resurrection reality into our present, and he starts doing some stuff. He starts giving us new affections. I mean, the things that we used to love, the things that we used to live for, now we don't love those like we used to. We don't have those affections anymore. In fact, the things that we thought we could never love, we start going crazy about. I mean, you've got a guy who literally ran a racist organization, now who can't wait to go to another country filled with foreigners, right, and go start another church. Only God does that stuff. Only God. I mentioned earlier that we're all engaged in Easter today for all kinds of reasons, but make no mistake, you are absolutely not here by accident. You're not watching today online by accident. God is writing a story. He's inviting you to encounter resurrection right in the middle of it. There's no words to express um, how grateful I am that in all of my failures and all of my pride and all of my sin, all of my sin, that God loved me enough to send one who knew no sin to become sin for me, to take my sin to the cross. The song that we're about to sing comes close to expressing the gratitude that's in my heart uh, that I have for the freedom from the past, for the hope that I have for the future, but also for the full life that I get to experience today. It's a life where love leads instead of hate. It's, it's where dead ends aren't dead ends. They're actually places of hope because I, I serve a God that can beat death. <laughs> what, what can God not do? It's a life of freedom from guilt and, and freedom from shame. It's a life that's released from everything that God has created me to be. A resurrection story. It's a resurrection life. And this Easter, this Easter, by believing in Jesus as the resurrection, by believing in Jesus as the life, your story immediately changes and starts to be released from the past and that future reality gets dragged into the present. The tomb is empty. Death is dead. Jesus holds the keys. If your sinfulness was too much, Jesus would still be in the grave. If the sins of others against you were too great, there'd be no hope no life for you. But we serve a God that loves us enough to beat death so that no one would be left behind. He's the God who seeks out the one. We are that one. You're that one. We're going to sing this song in just a moment, but uh, what I want to do is ask you to close your eyes. I want to pray for you today. If you need to pray this in your heart, I want to encourage you to do that just right where you're seated. Uh, right where you are, you may be realizing today, okay, okay, 
there are some dead ends in my life. There's a reality that maybe there's some things that I've done. There's sin in my life that has separated me from you, God, and I know that. I know that I've done that. I feel a little hopeless, but the reality is I believe today that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to live a life sinless, one that I couldn't. And I realize today that he took my sin upon the cross. He carried those right into the grave. But then on the third day, he rose again, throwing that, sea into the, that sin into the sea of forgetfulness. He is alive today and he offers me forgiveness for my sin. He, give, he forgives me for my past and he wants to bring that future hope and eternity into my present and help me to live that resurrection story. If that's your prayer today, if that's your desire, can I, can I just lead you briefly in a prayer and you can pray it right where you are. Father, I just come before you today. I honor you and praise you. I thank you for loving me the way that you do. And I acknowledge that there's sin in my life, that there are things that I've done that have distanced me from you. But I believe you sent Christ for me, that I would not be left behind. You sought me out with your love. So today I confess that I accept that offer of forgiveness for my sin. Helping now to walk in step with the Spirit and what it means to live out this resurrected story. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.